Hi, welcome to In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor, where we talk about millennials and this crazy world they're adulting into. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor. Thanks for joining. In this episode, I have the opportunity to interview Josh and Maureen White. Now, Josh and Maureen are the founders and executive directors of a program called Red Mountain Sedona. They are both masters in psychology. They met at Naropa University getting their master's degree, and they're a really dynamic couple. The entirety of this interview is about mindfulness and meditation, and that was my hope going in. Josh makes a good point at some point in this interview where he mentions that in the West, there's, you know, mindfulness and meditation is relatively new. So there's a lot of practitioners, but not a lot of teachers. And I definitely fit into that category. So this for me was very self-serving in that it was a great chance to sit down with two people that know a lot. And you'll see as you listen that they have a lot to teach um, not only that, they're just really cool, fun, awesome people, and you'll be able to tell we had a lot of fun in this interview, so I'm really grateful for them and the time that they took, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get a lot out of it. I sure did, and thanks for joining. Uh, Josh and Maureen, welcome to In the Trenches podcast. How are you guys doing today? Hi, Andrew. Great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a rainy day in Costa Rica, and there might be some background noise that comes with that, so I apologize in advance, but I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you, guys. Uh, Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to this ever since we had dinner in, in Idaho. You've, you've been in my crosshairs for a while now. Um, the sensei, the, the meditation guru um at all of these conferences and, and workshops and and you're always uh, a highlight of the conference for a lot of people so um i've been looking forward to interviewing you and and then the workshop that we did that you did at wilderness symposium I, I i just got so much from it so really excited to have you both on and i want to start by talking about um meditation and it's funny guys because uh I've been doing these podcast interviews and then I do a few short clips where I just kind of take five minutes and talk about something that I think is interesting or could be helpful to people. And I, I've done about four or five of those and they don't get much traction, but the one I did on meditation is by far getting the most love. And, uh, yeah. I am a novice at best. I'm a novice and, and I try to make meditate every day, but I kind of want to start with the basics from some gurus here. Um, how would you guys describe or define meditation to someone who may not be that into it or may be pretty skeptical or kind of clueless to what it really is all about? Hmm. Well, I'm all about love. And <laughs> um, one, of, one of the things that I like to talk to people about is how we demonstrate to someone that we love them. And having been, having had asked this question a number of times, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, I've kind of taken the average of the answers that I've gotten. And the, the thing that is the, the essence of the whole thing is paying attention. 
I know someone cares about me and loves me if they pay attention to me. So that is wonderful, you know, and what a wonderful experience when we know that someone is really receiving us and really listening to us and really paying attention to us and knows us so well that they can say to us, hey, you know, this is this is you freaking out about that thing like you usually do. So I, I see you and I see what's happening here. The thing is that it's really hard for us to do that for ourselves. And so meditation is setting aside a little bit of time every day and five minutes is fine, 10 minutes is great. It doesn't have to be this big, long, you know, one hour or no, not at all kind of deal. But we set aside some time for ourselves every day to pay attention to how we feel, to who we are that day, that moment, that hour, whatever it is, and to really build that friendship with ourselves. Um, so that's cool. <laughs> that's that, like, I've never heard it described. <laughs> like, that's really cool. I've never heard it described that way. Um, what's what the, the next question that comes to mind then is what is the difference between meditation and mindfulness? Cause what you just described to me feels like mindfulness, do the two go hand in hand or are they pretty different? Your question is very timely in my mind because I just taught a class to our students about this yesterday, the difference between mindfulness and meditation. And they often are used as synonyms these days. We talk about being a mindfulness-based young adult program. Mindfulness is definitely a, a big buzzword right now. And a lot of people think when you say mindfulness-based that you do a lot of meditation, which we do, and, and meditation and mindfulness do go hand in hand. But mindfulness is how we live our lives based on the insight that we're gathering in our meditation. So a really simple way to think about it is meditation is what you do when you're sitting on your meditation cushion and mindfulness is what you do when you get up off the cushion. So the, the rest of the time when you're out engaging with other people and having your life be a moving meditation where when you're by yourself, you're experiencing moments of clarity where your inner chatter is not dominating your direct experience of the moment. And where when you're with other people, rather than reacting to them all the time, you're receiving them. As Maureen said, you're connecting with them, you're witnessing them. And you're also, when they're upsetting you, you're able to take a breath and look at it from their perspective, get some perspective for yourself on the situation so that you're responding rather than reacting. So it's very difficult to live in a mindful way without meditation. And your meditation practice is not worth a whole lot if you're not living mindfully as a result of it. Yeah. That makes a, I agree. That makes a lot of sense. That really helps connect those dots for me because you're right. Mindfulness is kind of this buzzword. And, you know, you know about a, you know three, four years ago when we were starting Pure Life, I really pushed people. And, and no one could give me a really straight answer on what mindfulness was. I'm feeling and, – and, it's because it's not always a straightforward concept. It's, it can be a little abstract, but, but that, that description you guys just gave, you know, really makes a lot of sense. And I feel like I'm starting to understand that a lot better as well. And, um, <laughs> Megan may kill me for saying this, but I'm, I'm trying to get my wife to be a little more into it. <laughs> um, 
know. Well, maybe after she hears the podcast, she'll be into it, you know. But, you know, Andrew, um, one of the things that, that I think you're pointing to that has really kind of irritated me about this whole mindfulness buzzword is that it becomes very intellectual and conceptual. And in my tradition, which is Shambhala Buddhist tradition, which is a combination of two sects of Tibetan Buddhism mixed with the American or sort of Western mind, mm-hmm. um, we have this whole concept of body, speech, and mind, and that we want to be working mindfully on all three of those elements. But mind and heart are located in the heart center. So mind is in the heart center. So when we talk about mindfulness, we could just as easily be talking about heartfulness, you know, living from the heart, which is paying attention, a kind of presence like Josh talked about. And the way that we get to that point is through meditation, through training our mind, through getting our mind to be able to be so strong and stable that it will go and stay where we want it to. Because not a lot of us have that ability to really settle our mind and to put it somewhere and have it stay like a good dog. Yeah. And, and I liked what you said just a second ago, worrying about, you know, we try to complicate it. And I think that's kind of a turnoff for a lot of people, quite honestly. Yeah. I, I think it, yeah. you know, when we get, when we get into these really like long winded earthy explanations about a concept, I think that's what turns some people off. And I kind of wanted your thoughts you know, for you guys, because I know you're, you're doing a good job of this. How do you, how do you, what do you say to people that are like, Hey, meditation's kind of hokey. It's kind of weird. Um, you know, I know, I know, I think, I don't, I don't know that there's a stigma, but I think there's something out there that some people are like, Oh, it's not for me. And how do you, you know, like, and it's always the most, um, (laughs) It's always the most jittery, jumpy person I know that's like, I can't do it, right? The, the person that would benefit <laughs> the most from it, right? But how do we, yeah. how do we I, guess, I guess my point is, is how do we take meditation and mindfulness from being this sort of like yogi, like you have to be really yogi kind of a person to, right. to mainstream? I don't, I'm not talking about making it a pop culture thing, but like this is something that I'm seeing great benefit from in myself and my clients and I'd like more people cool. to tap into it in a, in just a more practical way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we hear that a lot too. There, there's definitely, uh, there's, there's definitely a kind of student who picks our program because they're already really interested in mindfulness and meditation and yoga and some of the therapeutic modalities that we use. And there's a certain kind of student that picks our program because they're interested in other components of what we do for whatever reason, they just feel that we're the best place for them, but they're a little less experienced with meditation. And, and one thing we hear is meditation is not for me. And then the pushback is, well, how much have you done it? And then you hear, well, not very much, but I know it's not for me. <laughs> you sort of go, well, that's like saying that cycling's not for me because I tried to ride a bike without my training wheels one time and I fell down a bunch, so I'm not going to do it. You know, in, in a similar way, you have to learn how to balance your mind in the same way that you learn how to balance on a bike. Once you learn how to ride a bike, you don't think about it. It's something that you can't forget. It's it's that famous anecdote. You know, it's like riding a bike. Once you know how, you just do it. 
meditation is very similar. You know, when, once you have a certain level of experience with connecting with your mind and taming your mind, it's it becomes very reflexive. And I remember when I was first learning how to meditate, the person that was teaching me said, in the beginning, when I was upset, the last thing I wanted to do was to meditate. And now when I'm upset, the first thing I want to do is meditate. Because when you get to a certain level of comfort with your own mind and you realize there's nothing to fear, then when you're upset, you want to experience the calming down and settling that comes with it. Whereas I think that it's kind of reflexive human nature when we're upset to not want to sit with it and not want to look at yeah. it. But once you once you break down those initial barriers and if you have a skilled teacher guiding you in, in how to do it, it really becomes uh, a great pleasure and a great joy to be able to be friends with yourself and to be able to be friends with whatever's happening, even if it's really agitating you. And and that's uh, that's the benefit. That's why it's worth the effort. But one of the things that we tell our students is it's like going to the gym. If you go to the gym and you kind of walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes and then you, you, know, you flop around on the weight bench and you maybe like look at the weights, but you don't actually pick them up, <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't get into better shape. You have to put in the effort and sometimes it's uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah I think there's something too um, about the concept of meditation. Again, back to the concept. When our son was in first grade, I volunteered in his classroom quite a bit and um, I speak Spanish and I, I, we live in an area where, you know, well, we're in America. So of course there are a lot of native Spanish speakers. And I was working with this one little boy who, um, couldn't pick out a star, the shape of a star in a sequence of shapes. And it occurred to me that he didn't know the word star. So I said, estrella, and then he picked it out. So it was a language issue. So if someone says to me, meditation really isn't for me, my first question is, what, what is meditation to you? What do you think it is? And you know what they almost always say? getting rid of my thoughts or clearing my mind. And I'm like, okay, well, then it's not for anybody because right. nobody's going to be able to do that. I mean, that's just not a realistic expectation. So let's talk about what it actually is. And that kind of relieves some of the anxiety that people have about the whole idea of sitting still for 20, 30 minutes at a time and watching mind television or, or you know, this pressure to clear their minds and get rid of their thoughts is like, whoa, I wouldn't want to do it either if that's what it was. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of education and a lot of um, challenging people's assumptions and also soothing anxiety. I love that. And that's where I think the, the perfectionists struggle the most because, you know, I know for me when I first started yeah. dabbling in it, it was like, am I meditating properly right now? Do I need to like make circles <laughs> with my hands? Like I can't sit Indian style for the life of me. Like, you know, and I think most people, that's what meditation is. And you're right. And, um, right. I love that question. I'm going to start using that because I do think people meditate more than they realize, whether they're driving in their car, listening to yeah. music and, and checking in or checking out, you know, but you're right. Like we, we all get caught up in this concept of I have to do this so right and so well. And that's when meditation yeah. started connecting for me. And I got a lot of my information from Tim Ferriss's podcast where he talks uh -huh. about it a little so bit. Great. 
Yeah. And he's just like, dude, I don't, you know, the, what the thought that connected for me was him saying, I don't care if you spend 19 of 20 minutes thinking about your third grade girlfriend or your, <laughs> or your, your, what you have to do at work today or a hard conversation you had yesterday, but, but that you in 19 of 20 minutes, you keep coming back to your breath. That's when it connected right. for me. I'm like, I can do that. And it's weird yeah. because I notice, guys, when I'm doing this, when I meditate, I, I don't always have a really profound experience. But when I get up, I feel it throughout my day. Yeah. Can you explain right. that? <laughs> sure. Well, there's there's a couple of components to that. You know, when, one of the components is physical, that when you spend 20 minutes sitting quietly – even if you spend all 20 of those minutes thinking about your third grade girlfriend, you know, even if you spend all 20 of those minutes thinking about your fantasy baseball team or, shoes. you know, shoes, <laughs> whatever it is that you like to think about, uh, your, your body is regulating during yeah. that time. Your nervous system is calming down. Your breath is deepening. Uh, we did a little instruction this morning where I was telling the students, that you don't have to try to slow and deepen your breath. You know, simply sitting there noticing your breath, it just happens on its own. It slows and deepens all by itself. So the notion that you have to get rid of your thoughts, as Maureen pointed out, is, is really erroneous. And I, I, I think, you know, just to quickly digress, I, I think part of the reason there's so many misconceptions, you know, the, the rise of mindfulness in Western culture, I think, is a wonderful thing and, and certainly has altered the course of my life in a dramatic way and, and probably saved it in many respects. The downside is that there's a lot of practitioners and not a lot of teachers. And, and that's a pretty recent phenomenon, you know, that, that people are trying to meditate that don't know how, and they just sit there thinking they're supposed to get rid of their thoughts and they receive no guidance or instruction. They don't have anybody to talk to about it. The point is not to get rid of your thoughts, you know, and on a really gross level, there's no point at all. Other That's than just right. to directly experience your life, which we've really gotten away from. So the reason why you feel calmer later in the day is just sitting there unstimulated for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's something that we don't experience in our day-to-day -day life. We've got our phones and we've got our emails and we've got our Twitter and we're driving these, you know, hunks of metal around at high velocity all day long. And then we go get in these metal tubes and zoom across the country or around the world and you know we're we're running our businesses and we're spending time with our families and we're dealing you know those of us that work in behavioral health are dealing sometimes with crises and with people that are very agitated and so we're constantly being being stimulated our nervous system is constantly being poked and the cortisol and adrenaline that exists naturally in our body are constantly getting secreted and in, into our bloodstream and so we're always on this roller coaster of, of feeling and emotion and reactivity. And so just sitting there for 20 minutes, if you have a good teacher and if you practice consistently over time, you are going to experience more gaps in your thought. You are going to experience more quote unquote egolessness where you're, you're experiencing something beyond your, your daily experience of yourself. But even if you don't, there's still benefit to it mm -hmm. because you're just calming down and maybe you're realizing, oh, crap, I'm double booked today. I'm 
doing two different things at noon and you realize that and that saves you stress later in the day because you realized it. Or, you know, maybe you have a moment where you realize that you, and what would be another good example? You, you realize that you are in a, a, a habit or a pattern. You're frustrated with someone and you realize that you're doing your pattern where you always get mad at them without trying to understand their perspective. Even if you're sitting there for 20 minutes thinking the whole time, if what you're thinking about are, how am I staying out of my habitual patterns today? How am I experiencing my life more directly today? How am I uh, remembering the third grade girlfriend in such a way that I'm, I'm feeling more relaxed and not so stressed about this podcast I need to record later? You know, whatever it is, <laughs> you're, you're creating a gap in the constant flow of stimulation and chatter that's normally occurring in your brain. And so there's a direct physical benefit to that. And then there's also the emotional psychological benefit of just starting to have a little bit of space, little gaps in your, in your day where you're not consumed with stress. It's, I describe it and that's, that's really cool. Because I haven't known, no one's explained it to me that way before, but I've, I've told other people it's a Matrix-like experience where, like, someone shoots yeah, a bullet at you. Yeah, the Matrix. Yeah, and, and it's like you have the, it's like I'll be in a meeting and someone will say something and I, I, I all of a sudden I'm like, I'm really mad. And, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, deep breath. And then I'm, I'm like, oh. Well, normally I would say this, but right now I'm just going to sit with this for a second because I'm mad. <laughs> it, it's like it's, it puts everything into slow motion and it helps immensely. I'm a much better version right. of me. I like myself better in those moments. My, my team, my friends, my family like Andrew better in those moments. And it's the matrix dodging the bullet kind of moment where everything goes into slow motion. And it's totally yeah, totally. It, it allows us to perceive the articulation of reality, you know, and um, and that's not that's not a something that we strive for. It's just something that happens where we see like, oh, stimulus response. And then and then there's actual freedom. One of the things that I've worked on a lot with with the young folks that I've worked with over the last I don't know how long actually, you know, but that was, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. What do you really want? What is it you really want? And it's, it's freedom. And I'm like, okay, so what does that really mean? And it, it always, always, always breaks down to choice. So when we're just going from, from stimulus to reaction, there is no choice in that. There's no freedom in that. But when we allow the gap to appear, that space to appear, then reality becomes articulated and it's sort of like these little chunks of things happening and then nothing happening. And then in that gap, we have all this freedom and all this choice. And it might be just a second long or even shorter, but that's, that's a universe of freedom given the fact that normally our mind is just completely like a snake swallowing its own tail. And that's how people change their lives, right? Like, yeah. I think of, I use this example with our clients a lot, is Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, where he identifies there's this like very small space in time between our thoughts and our feelings where we get to influence, we have influence there. Yeah, yeah. 
and it seems like meditation widens that gap. It, it makes that space. It slows it down and allows us to be more thoughtful. And then the, the, the phrase is intentional, right? That's the language you're talking about. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it, it's sort of like, um, sort of, I guess the way that I would, would describe it is if you're on a surfboard and you're seeing waves coming and you're catching the waves in the right way and you're staying on your surfboard, then you're working intentionally with the waves. But if you're under the water trying to get above the surface and as soon as your head pops up, another wave hits you square in the face and soaks you in surf and then you're underwater again, you know, that, that, that analogy of how to work with your mind and, and then how to work with your life, I think is, is really important because if you're just getting rocked by waves all the time and you're just reacting to stimuli, the things that go the way you want them to and the things that don't, you know, you get the sale, you lose the sale. Someone tells you they love you. Someone tells you they hate you. Uh, you know, you feel real good and you run five miles in record time. And then the next day you have stomach flu. You know, these are the things that happen in life. The waves keep coming. But what meditation does, to use that, that analogy, is that it's the surfboard. Now, when you're first learning how to surf, you get knocked down a lot. That, that goes back to that whole notion of people that have never learned how to meditate saying it's not for them. You know, that's really a shame because you could be the greatest surfer in the world if someone would teach you how to surf. But you can't just stand on a surfboard with no one telling you anything and expects to ride a big wave. It's not going to happen. You need someone to teach you how to do it. So, you know, being able to set an intention, be able to say, this is what I want my life to look like a year from now. If you then have the perspective to be able to ride the waves that come and go during that year, you can achieve those things. But if you're just constantly getting bandied about by the waves and you're constantly just struggling to catch your breath, probably your life is going to look about like it looks right now. So that's why meditation is such a game changer in particular with working with young people, especially young people who've had trouble getting going in life, because it does give you that opportunity to step back and look at your patterns of behavior and, and really ask yourself a very important question, which is, does this behavior that I'm about to do or that I'm currently doing help me meet my goals? Every single day that you're alive, you're either moving toward your goals or away from your goals. So if you're just asleep at the wheel, you're very likely to drift into moving away from your goals. But if you're conscious, if you're awake, if you're mindful, if you're intentional, then you can ask yourself that question. And if a decision is not going to move you toward your goals, you can choose not to do that. Yeah. I have so many questions, you guys. Um, Josh, you said that meditation saved your life. Can you share with us what that meant? Sure. Well, I'm a trauma survivor. And like most trauma survivors, I... Uh, experienced a lot of discomfort in my body, and I learned that I didn't really like being in my body or being in the present moment, so I figured out that if I engage in certain behaviors and consume certain substances that I felt better, you know, the downside to that, as is true for so many people, is that, you know, then you start to have problems, you know, the, the solution, quote unquote, becomes the problem because all the things you're doing to try to alleviate your suffering are creating more suffering for you. So for me, uh, meditation has been a, the game changer in that it allows me to tolerate how I'm feeling. 
and it allows me to notice the transience of how I'm feeling that when I get really sad or hurt or angry or fearful, those feelings come up and they intensify and then they dissipate. And without meditation practice, I don't know that. And so I just very quickly go into self-destructive behavior. And the Buddha taught all, all beings want to be happy and all beings want to avoid suffering. And I think that's really true. And so much of what we do as clinicians and as teachers has to do with helping people realize that their quote unquote non-working behavior has a, a root. It has a reason, you know, all the stuff that I used to do that was, you know, just patently self-destructive, like anyone with half a brain would look at it and be like, dude, how do you possibly expect to meet your goals by doing those behaviors? But it was all driven by trying to avoid pain. It was all driven by not wanting to sit with um, my pain. And so meditation doesn't take the pain away, but it allows you to tolerate it. And, and I think the real game changer is it allows you to see that it arises and then it goes. Mm -hmm. I like to, to look at emotions like water and non-working behavior is like ice. And then meditation yeah. is like heat. So the water naturally wants to flow. And when we get into our non-working behavior, whether it's drinking or using drugs or being promiscuous or looking at porn or compulsive video games or gambling or whatever, staying in bed all day, depressive attitude, I give up, you know, social anxiety, whatever it is, whatever we get into to try to sort of avoid the, the pain or the discomfort of, of the emotion that it happens to be flowing by at that moment, that's like applying rapid cold to that emotion. So it just freezes. Mm -hmm. So it's all well and good in the sense that you're not experiencing it flowing like it was, but the problem is now you've got a nice flow. Now you've got a frozen chunk, you know, getting in the way of things naturally taking their course. And what meditation practice does is it, it heats that, that freeze back up so that it can flow again. Sometimes that's incredibly painful. I mean, I've had meditation retreats where I just cried the whole time, yeah. you know, and, and deeply experiencing the pain that you're in uh, is, is, can be very cathartic and can be very helpful. Um, if that was the only thing that happened in meditation, I don't think anyone would <laughs> want to do it. There's also a very pleasurable, pleasant experience. Laugh for an hour and a half straight. Yeah. You know, there's, there's the laughter and there's just the bliss and the peace. Um, but for me, it's really all about the flow. It's all about learning. I'm not afraid of my life anymore. I'm not afraid of pain. I'm not afraid of my emotions. I'm not afraid to feel how I feel. I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, certainly good therapy has helped. Body practices like yoga and martial arts have helped. Um, the love of a good woman for 14 years has certainly helped tremendously. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's no question about that. But I, I think that for me, you know, that time on the cushion that I spend with myself every day where it's just me and me and um, and and me and the totality of all that is and ever will be and getting that perspective and, and being able to be friendly enough to myself that I can say, what's going on with you today and what do you need today? And, and just be tender and vulnerable with myself. Mm -hmm. That allows me to be tender and vulnerable with others allows me to not be afraid of whatever's coming up. Yeah. It reminds me of a story I heard, and I'm going to butcher this, but I believe it's it's some sort of Buddhism story of, you know, whenever the the enemy shows up, 
from your past, the demons of the past or whatever, that you invite the enemy in for tea. You don't fight mm-hmm. it. Yep. Right. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yes, that's from the Vietnamese teacher Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Vietnamese Zen teacher, and and that's exactly it. Yeah. It's rather than the enemy's at the gate, bar the bar the gate, you know, fire the flaming arrows, you know, <laughs> kill the beast. You know, you come to recognize that your pain is not there to hurt you. You know, your pain is either there to be processed and flow on, or it's there to teach you something. And if you can have that openness, you know. Uh, oh, I'm feeling really anxious. I'll just go do a bunch of drugs to cope with the anxiety. Well, you've missed the opportunity to ask yourself, why am I anxious? Right. What is that anxiety trying to tell me? Maybe the anxiety has a very uh, important message to share. You know, well, I'm angry. I'll go eat a bunch of hot fudge sundaes so I don't have to feel angry. <laughs> well, you know, anger is the emotion of clarity and boundaries. So if you're able to sit with it for a minute and, and calm down the anger, it's there to bring you a message. It's trying to tell you something. That's cool. What are the actual, so you, you talk about sitting on the cushion. Um, when, it, when I attended your workshop at the Wilderness Symposium, I came up and asked you guys, I'm like, I lie down. And you guys are like, knock yourself out. Whatever works for you, do it. Can you guys talk <laughs> about just like, for the, for the person listening to this podcast that is maybe a skeptic or might be willing to give it a shot, can, can you talk about some just nuts and bolts so that they don't get in their own way to get started on meditation, things that they can do and try, um, and or resources? I always refer people to Headspace app, um, you know, things like that. What, what do you guys tend to tell people to do that say, hey, I really would like to try this out. Where do I go? You want to take that one? Sure. So Insight Timer is a good app. Headspace is a good app. You know, believe it or not, YouTube is a great uh, resource because yeah. there's all kinds of wonderful guided meditations on there. I really like Caroline Mace's uh, meditations. I feel like if I'm going to name drop Caroline Mace, I need to say it's M-Y-S-S because people hear me say that and they go look her up. M-A-C-E and they can't find her. But anyway, um, I'm a Zen guy. You know, I, I've been practicing Zen meditation for many years and I'm, I'm now a sanctioned Zen teacher. So Zen is not really about guided meditation. It's about just sitting with what is, and it's about working with these, they're called Zen koans, these paradoxical, paradoxical rather riddles that you kind of sit with that kind of expand your consciousness over time. But for someone just starting out, having a timer is helpful. Having a guided uh, voice kind of helping you through the meditation can be very helpful. And we're not, you know, as teachers, you know, Marina, in, in the Shambhala tradition, she mentioned in me and Zen, you know, you're going to find teachers in every tradition that have a different approach. Um, I think that Marina and I don't speak for all Zen or Shambhala teachers. I certainly hope. No, that we, definitely not. That we don't. <laughs> but just speaking, speaking for ourselves, I think we're just very pragmatic and very practical. And, and the fact that we earn our living working with young people, I think you have to be adaptable to anyone, but especially to a young person, you have to really make it practical and you have to make, you know, millennials are so keyed into, uh, you know, the culture of a millennial 
tends to be a bit more skeptical and a bit more, how does it apply to me? Um, not just, oh, that's how it's always been done, so I'll just do it that way. Mm-hmm. And so we we work with them a lot on put your hands on your thighs or put them in your lap. Open your eyes or close your eyes. You know, sit up, sit in a chair, sit cross-legged, sit on your shins. Um, laying down is is dangerous in the sense that you can fall asleep, but I will sometimes meditate lying down, and it's very pleasant. You know, it's it's really... None of that matters. What really matters is just to be in a comfortable environment where you can focus on your breath and you can do the practice that your teacher's given you and you can experience your mind in a in an uncut way and become friends with yourself. That's what it's about. Yeah, and I it was such a good question and I, I'm really not buying this whole thing that you're a novice. The more the more that we're on the line here. <laughs> Initial claim, I'm a novice. Yeah, I'm, I'm really doubting the veracity of that statement, but I appreciate your humility, certainly. <laughs> but um, I did an exercise with a group of new meditators just uh, the other day where I had them start lying down and gave them the, the meditation instruction that I would give, which is, you know, we start with our body. So we place our body, we feel the weight of our body, we feel the energy in our body. And then speech in this aspect is breath because it's, you know, communication and we can tell a lot about our state of mind and what, and what we are, what's being communicated to us by the location and depth of our breath. So then we start to pay attention to our breath and then our minds, you know, we pay attention to the content and the quality of our thoughts. So that's the body, speech and mind model of just paying attention to those things and always coming back to breath and I like to say that our breath is sort of the the walkway and the front door to our home which is our body and our life and then from from the lying down posture I'll have them I have them sit up same instruction to change nothing but just to notice what changed in their mind to go from a you know flat position to an upright position or a horizontal position to a vertical position. And then after a few minutes of that to go back down again and to notice that. So what happens when you're, when you're horizontal and we have a term that we use in our household that we stole from a friend of ours called called horizontaling, where you're just lounging around. (laughs) So um, what happens when you're horizontal is that, you have the chance to get into your parasympathetic nervous system. So that means like some deep regulation can occur when you're, when you sit up immediately, you're more alert. Um, There, there's a whole flood of things that happen to our, to us physiologically when we sit up that we're more ready for action. It's more effort and things seem harder (laughs) when we're seated than when we're horizontal. So just going back and forth with those things is, is really a wonderful um, with those different postures is, is a wonderful way to explore that space between effortlessness and effort and, and how to have not too tight, not too loose, but also one of the things that I really like to emphasize is the view. You know, what are we really doing here? And that we talked about that earlier is we're, we're making friends with ourselves. We're, to a certain extent, taming our minds. 
we're opening opening ourselves up to our own brilliance and our own natural, essential, enlightened qualities. So our own inner peace and our own everything good, all the good stuff that's inside, we have to be able to get to that. So one of, the, one of the things that we have to be able to bring to the whole experience is warmth and curiosity. I guess those are two things. Two things that we have to bring to the whole experience are warmth and curiosity. And warm curiosity, not curiosity in a scientific sense of, you know, what will happen if I poke here? But more like, hey, I wonder what this would be like. And more of an exploration. And you mentioned something in the very beginning about how this can be difficult for perfectionists because... Um, I'm one, and I also, even though I've been meditating for 30 years, sometimes I'm like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing today. You know, I'm definitely thinking about what color to paint my toenails later, and I'm not really following my breath at all. And, you know, I'm just a little bit lost and um, not doing it right and all of that. But that's part of the deal, and that's part of knowing who we are and making friends with ourselves is understanding all the edges of that perfectionism and feeling just in a deep way, how exhausting that is. And even beneath that feeling how fear drives perfectionism. So really getting underneath all of that stuff. And that happens within the context of just sitting with ourselves or lying with ourselves you know, just lying and paying attention to, to what we're doing. So I don't know, you, you asked just to give some basic instruction and that I kind of went on and extrapolated some things, but just there, that's just the very basic instruction is just body, speech, mind, and then come back to your breath and come back to your breath. Would you recommend for people that are just trying it out that they start with five minutes or did they go for 20 or 10? Should they work up in, in length of meditation? Um, or should they kind of start with baby steps and baby, you know, little chunks here and there? Well, I really think of it like any kind of endurance sport or any kind of thing that we're doing that requires endurance, where if you want to run a marathon and you've never run before, you don't want to start even with a 10K. You want to start going for a walk, just going for a walk. So I like to recommend, and Josh will have something different to say, but I, I really like to recommend that people do less than they actually can and just get really consistent with that. So if you think you could do 10 minutes, do five and do five every single day. Don't just do an hour on Sunday or something. Just really commit to five minutes every single day. If you think you can do 20 minutes every, every day, do 15 and always, always give yourself that extra um, wiggle room. So if you want to sit for 20, you can, but you know that you can do 15 every single day. And then you can build up if, if you want to, if you have the time. Well, and go ahead, Josh. Sorry, Andrew. Well, Maureen said I was going to say something different. And uh, I actually totally agree with what you said so oh, I, did. I, I, I don't know why you would think that why would you think I would <laughs> you might I wanted to give you the chance to say something different if that's what you wanted to do I'm giving well, you the way around I agree with what you said I would elaborate just a little bit in the sense that you know for me I started out my meditation 
career, quote unquote, I guess, was going to a four-day meditation retreat where we meditated for you know several hours each day. Now in that in that environment, there was a lot of structure and there was a lot of instruction, so I could I could do it. And I started meditating for a half an hour every day, right out of the chute after that. But I think that if you're just starting on your own without without that uh, booster, if you will, I think that that five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes is fine. I agree with Maureen that it's better to sit for five minutes every day than for an hour every Sunday, because the key thing is to get into the habit. And it's just like going to the gym, as I mentioned before. You know, you're you're going to get more out of it the more you do and the more effort you make. But if you go to the gym once a month and work out really hard for two hours, you're probably not going to see much of a change. <laughs> you need to be, you know, going every day. And I like the marathon analogy because you have to work your way up to it. But I think that having said all that, one thing that's important to keep in mind is it, it depends a little bit on what your what your goal is. What do you want the outcome to be? You know, one of my teachers once said, if you want to live in a spiritual palace, then you have to do a lot of meditation practice. Mm -hmm. If you want to live in a spiritual shack, you can just have a roof over your head and you can just do it for a few minutes. So it's critical to not be self-critical. Um, it's important. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even mean to be funny there, but Brilliant. it's critical to not be self-critical. You know, the, the point of this, the point of meditation is never to feel worse about yourself. So I would say to anyone out there who's thinking that they, really stink at meditating or that, you know, well, I can only do five minutes. And Josh Sensei said, I will never have a spiritual palace if I do that. <laughs> I mean, that's not what I mean. He's not a realtor. It's better, it's better to, better to have, have a shack and a roof over your head than to be out in the gutter. So, you know, you just want to start creating some kind of building because, you know, a shack can be turned into a house and a house can be turned into a mansion. A mansion can be turned into a palace. So, you know, the important thing is the consistency and and um, another metaphor that I've heard is that, you know, it's like rubbing two sticks together. You don't want to stop before you build a fire. You know, I, I know you run a wilderness program, so you know all about busting a fire. You, you have to let it get hot before the spark is going to happen. So start out gentle, start out with just getting in the habit. But then over time, I would say push yourself to, to sit more if you can, because you are going to find that the real magic happens once you've been sitting there for a while. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the beginning, you might want to do it in the privacy of your own home. It doesn't have to be elaborate. You can sit on your bed. You don't need to buy anything special. It can be helpful to engage your senses. So to have some incense or some sort of scent that's pleasing to you and light a candle to kind of mark the sacredness of what you're doing. But it doesn't really have to be a big deal at all. You can just sit on your couch. You know, it, it really doesn't matter. But eventually, like Josh is saying, you want to, if you really want to go somewhere with it, it's great to start sitting with other people as well, because that is really amazing what happens um, when you're sharing the space with other meditators, particularly people who are further along the path than you might be. You know, it's, it's interesting too. I, I, what you guys are all talking about is I think exactly what people need who might want to start trying this out. And we, again, we go, I go back to this concept that we have that you've got to sit somewhere and there can be no sound. One of the great breakthroughs for me was realizing that being aware of that noise that's going on around me, you know, so, sometimes I meditate in the morning and Megan wakes up and starts, you know, cooking herself breakfast and, you know, Pat 
you know, I think Andrew four years ago would have been like, ah, oh, meditating, you're disrupting me. You know, now I'm, you know, <laughs> right. I've learned that, that meditation is actually more like, oh, pots and pans banging together and I'm back. Right. right. Like that it's, yeah. it's actually the release of control of this perfect environment and this perfect experience. And, and I think that's why I kind of keep beating the, the drum of perfectionism being the killer of great meditation and motivation in general in anything we do in life. Oh, you're so on it. You're so on it. It's such a great opportunity for us to notice our preferences too. You know, if, so. if we, we think, well, if, if there are pots and pans clanging and banging and we're trying to meditate to notice, first of all, the sensation of the anger or the irritation, like where is that in our bodies? Can we notice that rising and how that gives way to thoughts and a storyline and, you know, the whole like, impulse now i'm going to get up and i'm going to go do something about it all of that so it gives us the opportunity to look at that too but the real magic of that is that causes and conditions do not need to be perfect and will never be perfect for us to do anything you know we need to do it anyway exactly that's right that's right and and just to elaborate further on that andrea i know you have other questions so we can move on if you want but I did have another thought on this. No, keep going. Well, when, when I first started practicing, something that really aggravated me was that I was living in an apartment with several other guys, and, and we all had our own rooms. But, you know, you could certainly hear the noise of what the other people were doing. And there was one guy who had speakers that were, you know, as tall as you or me. And uh he loved his music and I, I love music too. I used to be a professional musician and music's, you know, a huge part of my life, but I didn't really love having spearhead, you know, getting cranked and these giant speakers while I was trying to meditate. And, uh, he got kind of passive aggressive with it after a while where I would ask him to turn it down and he would turn it up. It would become opposite day. And I, I, uh, I complained, I, I complained to my, to my teacher at the time about this. And, um, you know, he was this Japanese monk and, and, uh, I'd come over from a monastery in Japan and I, I thought he was going to say something like, you must wander into the woods and find the quietest Creek and, you know, <laughs> you know sit under the, the greenest tree and feel the breeze on your face. You know, you can't be around that that horrible person while you're trying to meditate. Um, but instead, he said, well, you know, we have a practice center in a rough part of L.A. and we're our building is right next to the train and we'll be sitting in silence. And then the train will go by and shake the whole building. And he said, I regard the train as just coming and going phenomena. And that's how you should regard the music of your roommate. Yeah. Invite the enemy in for tea, right? Mm -hmm. And that was very helpful. You know, I, I think for someone who is a beginner, go ahead and find the quietest, softest, you know, place to sit. That's good. You know, I, I would rather in a vacuum, I'd prefer to sit in quiet, of course, you know, sit in peace. But it's very important just to notice, you know, that my, meditation should not turn into a, a tool for self-aggression. You know, we already talked about that. It also shouldn't turn into a tool for other aggression, you know, like, hey, shut up. I'm trying to be peaceful. You know, like that's not the, that's, that's not the goal. You know, the goal is to accept your experience of the present moment for whatever that may be. So, if there's people coming and going in the space and if there's eggs cracking and if there's, you know, Megan's 
cooking up some nice breakfast, you know, invite that in and accept it, you know, and, and notice whatever story you might have about it. And in so doing, rather than just getting into the, the habitual thought of, man, you know, there she goes again, and I'm trying to meditate and this, that, and the other, you know, then, then your thinking might shift to, and it probably does. Oh, she's, she's probably making an, an egg for me. And she's probably, you know, I'm so happy to, to be with her and, and excited to, uh, spend the day with her and you might end up having a really pleasant meditation thinking about her as opposed to being so annoyed at, at the noise. And I think that's for me, I think one of the greatest benefits, um, I, I describe myself as a recovering type a personality, um, <laughs> depending on the day. Right. But you know, a lot of my, I think stress comes from the need for control and, and that's been a great lesson for me. And so when the neighbor kicks up the lawnmower or whatever, it's like, all right, okay, cool. This is part of my meditation. I did take it to an extreme one day where I, I put on a heavy metal playlist and tried to meditate through that. I, I'm not quite ready for that, for that level. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was kind of cool to just be like, all right, I'm going to throw on some Metallica here and see how I can see how my breathing goes. And, you know, yeah. so I guess I'm having fun. How with was it? Um, it was cool. How was it? What happened? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I found, I didn't get it. It was different. You know, I didn't, I didn't relax in the way that I usually do. And I wasn't able to maintain it for 10 minutes. I think I got through like a song and a half and, uh-huh. um, but, but it was cool. I was like, I'm going to do that again. Uh-huh. You know, I, I'm a person that has to mix it up too. Like if I, yeah. I'm, I'm a good, I'm good at routine, but if I do the exact same thing every day, I get a little bit bored. And so I, I'm just, I'm just kind yeah. of playing with some different things and, um, trying to invent, maybe I'll invent like my own heavy metal meditation practice. For <laughs> someday. Um, so, um, is there, you, you know, I, I hear people refer to it and I actually refer to it as well. And I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I say it all the time. I say, you're building a muscle. And is yeah, there, totally. is there an actual muscle? Is there a literal something that you're building or is it more of just a, an awareness muscle and more of an abstract muscle? Abstract muscle, but also the patterns in your, in your mind in your brain and your senses too that's why you want to involve senses you don't want to i mean i always discourage people from playing like you know new age flute music and that kind of thing like spa music because you don't want to manipulate yourself into feeling something you really want to be able to meet the world in its raw state and in your raw state um as much as possible but um you know i think it it is habit it becomes habit and Power of habit is oh, there's a book called that. It's a really good book too. <laughs> That's true. It's a really good book. So the on the on the idea of habit, the the thing we talked about earlier was that it's sort of the default setting for most of us to try to get away from things that are unpleasant or difficult. So the first reaction when something upsetting is going on is not going to be to meditate. But then when you get in the habit of meditating, you find it soothing then whenever you're upset, the first thing you want to do is meditate. So it, it really just kind of goes back to what is it that, you know, kind of what is it that you've trained your mind and your body to do? If you've trained yourself to get all agitated and, you know, go do something self-destructive, then that's what you'll do. If you train yourself to come back to the present moment, back to your breath, your reality, 
yourself, then that's what you'll do. And as far as the music goes, I mean, I probably wouldn't want to walk into a Zen monastery with my, you know, headphones and start blasting the latest Metallica album into my ears. I think they would frown upon that. But I mean, in the comfort of your own home, why not? And and one of the things that you're describing is sort of a different way to work with your mind. And and if I were your teacher, I would praise you for trying something new and just kind of observing and seeing yeah. how it goes. Yeah. And that that's what this is all about. And one thing that we haven't touched on yet that I think is very important is lightness and humor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we tend to take ourselves so seriously and the ego gets so solidified. And one of the great gifts of meditation is having a little, it's like opening a window in a really stuffy room, you know, being able to have a little moment of, oh, I wonder what will happen if I do this. And we had a, a student, you know, jokingly suggest that we play a Gwen Stefani song during meditation the other day. And then much to their surprise, we did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was just like, see if you can just sit still and listen to this and note it and see what happens. And you saw a few feet tapping and you saw a few, few toes wriggling along to the beat. But, you know, it was interesting. We talked about what was that like for you? And there's people that like the song and it's distracting because they were wanting to sing along. And there's people that don't like the song and it was distracting because they wanted to be quiet. And there are people that had certain memories associated with the song, some good, some bad. But the point is, you know, everything's fair game. It's all just life. Right. So how are you experiencing your life? And it's super heavy and thick and dark and, and just, you know, really hard to navigate. Or are there some practice of light? Are there some opportunities to uh, have humor and have openness and have affection, you know, entering in and, uh, you know, even toward people that are upsetting you? There's there's something that from the workshop that I was just reminded of, Josh, that you and Norman talked about, and that was this concept of four breaths, and I'm I'm probably butchering it, but something along the lines of like if you have an itch or you have a feeling or you have a thought that's that you're not comfortable with, that in four breaths or something like a minute and thirty seconds. If you just leave it, it will disappear. And I've been practicing this one as well because I always meditate after I exercise. So I'm usually really sweaty and I lay down and then beads of sweat will start going down my face or my head. And I like, and sometimes I just wipe it off. But sometimes I'm like, all right, I'm going to just sit and breathe and see how long I can go until this just goes away. That's yeah. so cool. That's yeah. great. Wonderful practice. Wonderful practice. <laughs> I feel oh. like such a good student right now with you guys. You're building such a thing. good student. Oh my gosh, A plus plus gold stars across the board. Yeah, I mean, I I think the real takeaway from this podcast is that Andrew's much better at meditation than he thinks he is. He's better than I am, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I I think that you're you're actually hitting on why this is such a game changer, particularly for people who have compulsive behavior issues. So you know. The, the rate of recidivism and relapse is so high for people that, that get into habits with substances, for example. And one of the, the reasons for that is that you have a physical and psychological craving that's so overwhelming that people give into it because, you know, it, it really truly feels like your hair is on fire and you've got to duck your hair in the lake in order to get the fire out. You know, it, it, that's what the urgency feels like. 
of I've got to use, I've got to use, I've got to use, regardless of the consequences or how I know better or what have you, I, I have to make this feeling go away somehow. And the only way is to consume the substance or do the behavior, you know, whatever the behavior may be. But what, what's so beautiful about this, you know, when, when you're a long time meditation practitioner and when you have habituated yourself to notice, it's just true. Like whether you're Christian or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, you know, we all experience the same basic reality, which right. is that things arise and fall away. And usually they arise, intensify, and then fall away. So, you know, something comes up, you want to wipe the bead of sweat off your head, and then it, you really, 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 really want to do it. And then it kind of dissipates. And it's like not a big deal if the sweat's there. And and that's true with so many things. You know, we, we had the... Uh, we had the good fortune of, of chatting yesterday with one of our staff who used to be a student here, and she was telling us about being home for Thanksgiving. And this situation, this this uh, young woman really loves the band Fish, and Fish was playing nearby where they were, and she wanted to go see them. And her mom got really agitated about this because her mom associates her going to see Fish with her losing touch with reality for days on end because of the substances that she would consume. She's been to many fish shows since then sober, but she was telling us that it was just really aggravating her mom to even think about her leaving the family to go do this. And rather than get into arguing with her mom and defending her position and being defiant and I'm just going to go do it anyway and I'll show you, uh, she just said, okay, that's fine. I'll go see them another time. And and that's an example where, you know, your mom swallowed her tongue. <laughs> right. You know, or above and beyond using substances or not, it's just staying out of your your habit. You know, it's I want so badly to do this. And then it's like, oh, but I, I don't really need to. It's it's okay. It's okay mm -hmm. if I don't. I, I didn't come here to see fish. I came here to spend time with my family. Mm -hmm. This is agitating my family, making it harder to enjoy the time. It doesn't matter if I'm right or they're right. As a matter of fact, they're wrong, but it's okay. You know, I don't need to to be so attached to that. And I can tell you that, you know, a couple of years ago, that wouldn't have been how it went. Right. And uh, and and that's because she's learned how to how to work with her mind in a skillful way. Well, she too is a very good student. Cool. Is she as good cool. a student as Andrew? She's not as good as Andrew. But she is a very. Good I think she's she's close. She's 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 nipping at your heels, Andrew. You better go meditate. Better do better. I want gold stars, guys. I want, I'm gonna bring the board to the next. I'm gonna read like a meditation board to the next conference, and like you guys can give me some gold stars. And one on the forehead would be just the icing on the cake for me. So oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> so we're we. I know we don't have a lot of time left. Um, just a few more questions. Is Worst case scenario, someone tries to meditate, they're, they're all over the place, they're frazzled, they're discouraged, they're frustrated, but they sit and breathe for five minutes. Physiological benefits of deep breathing and, and just relaxing for a few minutes. Um, do you guys know that sort of physiological part of that? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's sort of like, you know, eating a vegetable is good for you. You know, eating a whole salad is better, but eating a vegetable is good. So slowing down your nervous system for five minutes is certainly not going to hurt you, and, and it can only benefit you. 
sitting down for 15, 25, 35 minutes is only going to make it better over time. Isn't there a nerve? What's that nerve that, that benefits from just a few deep breaths? It's the whole polyvagal nervous system benefits. And, and I'm not, I haven't been certified in any of that. So when I talk about it, it's not as an expert, but as a student, um, the, the vagus nerve. That's it. Yep. Yeah. I'm really, really glad that I'm not doing this interview by myself because I would not have known the answer to that. <laughs> now that super nerd. Now that, I like, I like, now that, I like information. <laughs> now that she answers it, I remember, but I, I was sitting there going, please know this. <laughs> Good thing. Good thing I'm a huge nerd. Yeah. yeah well, that, um, just, just getting into the parasympathetic nervous system, just breathing like that, I mean, it has huge benefits, tremendous benefits. Um, one of the things, though, Whenever, if you tell someone to take a deep breath, they go, <gasps> you know, and, and what happens is that that actually, that kind of breathing actually stimulates the fight or flight response. So when, when we breathe deeply, just for those people who might be listening to this thinking, well, I can breathe deeply, just don't go like this. <sighs> you want to fill up the lower part. So you breathe diaphragmatically and you stick out your belly as you breathe in. And fill, imagine that you're filling your lungs from the bottom to the top and not from the top down. And that will really, really, really help you access your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the relaxation. It's, it's, the, it's the absence of the fight or flight response. Cool. Look, we're going to study that, and we're going to talk. We're going to we're going to okay. talk about it at the next conference because I've heard more than one person refer to that, and uh-huh. uh, I've never gotten like a lot of detail. But I like there's something major there that we need that we need to wrap our heads around. Maureen, thanks for saving this, Josh. Yeah. I was going to say that's the beauty of being the interviewer is um, I can just. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, people think I sound smart because I just vaguely have an idea and then usually you guys fill in the gaps. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, but but I think that, you know, do you guys recommend morning? I I do mornings and I can say when I've had, when I've had high, when I've had trouble sleeping and stress around work, that the number one cure for getting a good night's sleep has been meditation and guided, you know, Mm -hmm. breathing zone, which I don't love. I don't do it very often, but it's another app that I use where it's just this cheesy lady saying like, breathe in, breathe out. That's it. It's very simple, but that's put me to sleep on more than one occasion. Um, but do you guys have a recommendation for morning or night or, or suggestions for people? Whenever you're going to do it is the time to do it. And for, for beginners, Play with it. See what works best for you. It may be great on your lunch hour. It may be you may find another time for it altogether. But whatever works for you, whatever you're going to stick with, find that. So approach that the same way you do meditation with with some warmth and curiosity about not there. It's not that there's a right way. It's what's the right way for you. Absolutely. You know, for for me, I have ADHD. Uh, pretty severely. And, and so I find that meditating first thing when I wake up in the morning is really, really helpful because otherwise I get going in my day and my brain really revs up and spools up 
and the velocity is so rapid that it's kind of hard to slow it down again. If I start out slowed down because it's the first thing I do, then I stay slowed down throughout the day, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it's harder to get myself to slow down once I've revved up. Um, earlier in my life, I, I didn't like meditating at night as much. I've gotten to where, like you, you know, I, I own a business and I, I'm going, going, going all day. So meditating at the end of the day, I've taken to as well because it just helps me sleep. You know, it just helps yeah. me like go of everything. And, and one of the things we teach is on the in-breath, inhale everything that is of support and of service to your highest self and your highest good and breathe out anything that is no longer serving you. And really anything that's in the past is no longer serving you. So just sitting at the end of the day and letting go of what has been and uh, breathing in what's coming, which is the, the night yoga, you know, the, the dream yoga, that is, uh, is very helpful. But really, like Maureen said, whatever works for you, there, there, there's no like um, meditation teacher in the sky looking down, you know, judging when you meditate or don't meditate. Giving out gold stars or... <laughs> yeah, I mean, Maureen and I give out gold stars. But I mean, this is one of the things actually, you know, not to get onto a big digression right here at the end, but this is one of the things I think that's really challenging for people who grew up in the West to, to meditate. You know, people who come from other cultures have an easier time with just, you know, oh, meditate whenever you feel like it, whenever it works for you. Okay, great. People in the West, you know, because we've grown up with this very sort of binary way of looking at the world, and there's a right way and a wrong way, and there's, you know, above and below, and there's, um, you know, progress, and there's regression, and and it's it's kind of one or the other. You know, we tend to think, well, I've got to do it right. I've, I've got to, and if I'm not going to do it right, I shouldn't do it at all. But, you know, similar to working out, you know, to use that analogy again, for some people, it really works to work out in the morning, some people the evenings, some people just when they naturally feel like it. It's important to do what feels right for you and what works for you because this practice, again, is about making friends with yourself, it's not a self improvement project. It's about just experiencing yourself and your life and the world in a more full way. So there's no real right or wrong way to yeah. do that. And there's no right or wrong type of meditation either. When you were talking, Andrew, about meditation putting you to sleep, I was thinking about that childhood practice. I don't know if you all had a parent tell you to count sheep um, to fall asleep, but I did, you know, count, count sheep. And it's sort of that kind of a cliche to count sheep, but that's actually meditation. So our parents were teaching us to meditate when they told us that. And there's so many different kinds of meditation. You know, there, there's the type of meditation that Josh and I have described today. There's counting in-breath, counting out-breath. There's mantra. I mean, hundreds of different kinds of meditation. So if you stay curious and open, you can find not only the right time, but also the right type for you. There's no, there's no wrong way to do it. And, and that's really difficult for us to understand, as Josh was saying, and this, we're in such a, a culture that's driven by empiricism and, um, you know, prove to me what's, what's the most efficacious way of doing something. And, you know, well, this, this is sort of outside the box of all of that, all of our preconditioned ideas. So we, it's really on us to figure that out. Let it be messy. Let it, allow it. Allow it a little bit of room to kind of be messy, and, and as you explore it, I I really like that um, idea of just kind of 
you know, exploring it and staying curious with it. That's awesome, yeah. you guys. Thank you. You guys, that was awesome. I learned so much. I think a lot of people are going to learn a ton from this. I, You guys are super busy, and um, to get both of you on the phone, I, it was a thrill. Maureen, I can't wait to meet you in person, and I can't wait to see you guys uh, next year sometime soon. Thank, Thank you so you much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Andrew. It was such a pleasure to be here, and you are officially not a novice. So. <laughs> Really, really fun to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Yeah, you, you got this. You got this interview that you can you can put in in your podcast station, and you got promoted. So you know, what <laughs> what could be better? I mean, that's time well spent. <laughs> you are now an intermediate meditation practitioner. You've got two different teachers telling you that. Oh man, I was I was actually hoping I could be a sensei, and that's for the next interview. We're going to talk about the sensei status. <laughs> But I was like, Absolutely. I would love to be a sensei someday. So we'll we'll talk about that next time because I'm definitely going to hit That's you guys what up. You wish for. Yeah, exactly. I, hey. I, yeah, absolutely. I used I used to want to be a sensei too, and uh, and I still do most of the time. Well, it's, just, well, it's really a pleasure to to be with you, Andrew, and uh, just just love you and what you do, and uh, you know, happy to be of any service we can to anyone out there who uh, is interested in this. So yeah. just just in closing, would say to, to anybody that's made it this far through the podcast, if you're still here, the uh, bonus round of advice is just enjoy it and uh, use it as an opportunity to soften toward yourself and to love yourself more. Yeah. That's really what it's all about. Yeah. If, if people want to reach out to you guys, um, Pat, what's the best way to get in touch or follow your Facebook or Twitter? Where do they find you? Absolutely. So redmountainsedona.com. You can check us out on our website. You can get in touch with us via our Facebook page, which is also Red Mountain Sedona. You can email us, info at redmountainsedona.com. And we're happy to help in any way we can. Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate. We're... We're both very committed to helping people who want to step on the path. Well, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that there's that info address, but also Maureen is Maureen and I'm Josh, and we're both at RedMountainStone.com. Yeah, there's, so, there's only one Josh and one Maureen here, so it's very easy to find us. Yeah, at RedMountainSedona.com. Awesome. <laughs> RedMountainSedona.com. Let's say it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Your meditation needs comfort. <laughs> hey, thanks. Thanks a ton, you guys. That, that was a lot of fun. Appreciate you joining. Thank you, Andrew. Thank, Thank you. you.